Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode two of The Edric Show. I am your host, Edric Jerome. I want to thank you for tuning in and checking us out. Please hit the subscribe button on our YouTube channel, The Edric Show. We really appreciate it. You can also catch us on Instagram, Edric Show on Instagram. Uh, we're getting that up to speed and running, and just check us out, and you can learn a lot about the show. Um, really, really thrilled to talk to this gentleman. Uh, we go back a few years, uh, back in the days in the Bay, uh, back when I was doing the Globe Newspaper Hour, uh, before we got, I don't know if you remember, we did the Obama show, I believe. I remember Obama that with uh, yeah. Betty Suskin. That's right, Betty Reed Suskin and uh, Clinton Killian. But uh, I'm yeah. pleased to welcome Mr. Tyrone Weems, cool Ty, uh, very talented guy. He's an educator, father, uh, he is a musician, uh, and he has a brand new book titled Obtainable, a book of his poems and his thoughts. And I'm pleased to welcome Tyrone to the Edric Show. How you doing, man? I'm good, Edric, man. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it greatly, brother. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, anytime, anytime. Uh, let's start out, because like I said, you've got so much going on, man. Let's start out with the book, uh, Obtainable. Tell us about um, the book, inspiration for it, um, self-publishing and all of that. So just tell us about the book, man. Um, well, I actually published it through Ex Libris. Um, they... And I, I learned about them some years ago and they uh, basically never stopped bugging me about completing the book. Uh, so it was just a natural connection that when it, once I actually put it all together that they were the, uh, the right people to do it. Um, they helped me out tremendously. So I have to definitely give them some love um, to Ex Libris Publishing. Uh, and they did all the, they, you know, they did all the digital stuff and, right. you know, you know, distribution as well. So I appreciate them. Um, the book came about, man, because, um, you know, COVID happened and I stopped going into the classroom. Uh, so I saved quite a bit of time on my commute. And, you know, I was sitting with my kids and I just decided, you know, I got to do something during this time, right? So I was exercising. I was, you know, I had gotten the bikes out and had them maintenance and we were biking around and I was just like, okay, I got all of these poems sitting around and I was focusing on another writing uh, uh, project at the time, which was my, which is my kid's book, Daddy Do Write. Um, and then I just, it just kind of clicked that, you know, I could do this book, which literally requires me and an editor um, mm -hmm. and make money for the other book uh, and get something out in the meantime. So I literally scoured, um, and I, I'm kid, I kid you not, man, these, these, some of these poems were written 10, 12 years ago. Uh, they were written in various schools. They were written in various states. Uh, a few were written out of the country. So they were written in, you know, some of the places that I had lived, Japan, and maybe, you know, places that I had traveled. Um, and so I literally scoured the house, old notebooks, binders, things that I hadn't, <laughs> I, I told myself not to throw away for a reason. And I just started putting them together. So I had had you know, I had, uh, I had poems on old cell phones that I had kept emailing to myself to make sure I never got rid of them. So before you know it, um, you know, I, I had compiled all these poems. I had a, a really good book. Um, and so I had called Ex Libris and they were like, okay, well, let's start the process. Think about doing it this way. And so they gave me some really, you know, they, they're a publisher, so they know the questions to ask and the way to direct me to put things together. Uh, and once I put everything together, uh, I think the last, once I had everything typed up, the last piece was, 
you know, can you put these, can you group them or put them into chapters? Hmm. Uh, and it came really easy to come up with the chapters. There, there are four chapters in the book, uh, Love, Pain, Black, and Moon and Stars. And that was probably the easiest dream because a, a lot of the poetry, a lot of the things that I have come from like me, woke dreams or just, you know, dreaming um, or, you know, various places and, and things. But um, once I put them into those chapters, I felt the book had its completion hmm. um, and a lot of editing, man. Like I read that thing multiple times. I had to dish it out to another editor, dish it out to my, my homeboy Marcus in Florida, who literally went through each and every poem, him and my, my friend Jane in California, who fine tooth went through each poem, each line, each word, making sure it was the right form of the verb or the right form of the word. Um, and a lot of times, just a lot of time, focusing on the images that I had taken to go with the poems. So I had written a poem and then I was somewhere else years later, oh man, that image would go perfect with that poem. So I had taken that picture hmm. and saved it. And so as I was going through the poems, I started going through putting the, finding the pictures that go with each of the poems or some of the poems that I had already set aside. So the process, I have to admit, man, was a really good process. Uh, to me, it felt really fast. So I felt I had to slow down and, <laughs> and do a lot of editing. Um, but it was just a good journey of this is, you know, I think, so, I think oftentimes uh, a perspective as mine as a Black educator, an HBCU grad, uh, you know, kind of stepping out of that norm doesn't get heard a lot. So I felt this is a really good way for me to get my voice out and to, to let people hear or let people read, excuse me, kind of what I've been going through and what I'm thinking and kind of how my, how my experience is. So, you know, it was fun. I, I have to completely admit, man, uh, <laughs> Edric, it was fun. And I, I literally found poems, you know, <laughs> some of these poems I found in like things that I had written, like, 15 years ago. So it was really cool. And I didn't, I didn't even use all of them. I just used these ended up being the ones that, that really spoke to me. Sure. Um, sure. And so that's kind of how that process came to be. It was, it, was a, it was a fun search, literally like finding all of these poems and putting them in this book. Because every time I put another poem in, I was like, oh my gosh, I wrote a poem about this particular thing, or I wrote a poem about this thing. And then I'd have to go and find it and search all these emails and, and, and compile them and put them together. So it was a, it was a fun fun process. One of the poems that struck me, man, tell me about uh, the bench by the bay. <laughs> tell me about that one, man. That one, that one struck me. Uh, the bench by the bay. I wish I had a, one of my books right here next to me. The bench by the bay was about, if I remember correctly, it was about just looking at the scene and taking it all in, you know, the, the bench by the bay. So first of all, that bench is actually at the Brooklyn arena. Yeah, I saw the picture. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that's yeah. an actual place yeah. in Berkeley, California at the marina. Um, and I remember going there one night and, and sitting and it was just, you know, it was one of those days in the Bay. You know, it wasn't overclouded. It wasn't overcast. It wasn't cloudy. It was a practically perfect day. Mm -hmm. And that's what came out of sitting at that bench mm -hmm. and just taking it all in and absorbing it. Um, just, just having that moment in nature to where, um, 
you, you feel good and you, you just, you just witness something spectacular in its, in its simplest form, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned uh, you're, you're, you've been, you've traveled all over the world. You've lived in other places. Um, how has that shaped your perspective on uh, things like education, like being creative, like your music, uh, when you come back to this country? So tell us about your, some of your world travels, man. Yeah, you know, I, I have to admit, and, and I, I wanted, I, I like talking about my world travel because, you know, I grew up in Daytona Beach and, you know, I didn't have any real uh, inspiration about world travel or why I, or why that's even possible, right? Like that wasn't even on my radar. You know, the closest thing that I had to world travel were all my aunts and uncles who had joined the military and had traveled around and they had you know, brought, every time they went to a new country, they brought my grandmother to visit them. And so that's how she got her world travel. And she, you know, she instilled, you know, going out there and working hard and being a good person and traveling. Those things, you know, my first trip was to, uh, was to uh, Russia and Uzbekistan. And it opened my eyes. I mean, I, I, I went from thinking, you know, my, 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 little, my little community to... America is really not that big to North America has a lot to offer to, I could actually put my mark on an entire hemisphere. Like I really felt that way. So those travels completely changed my ideas, my thinking. It changed how I looked at individual people, what I hold, what I hold important myself. So, you know, I remember, um, you know, I remember being in, uh, I remember being in, in, in Moscow and going to uh, Moscow University and just seeing the statues of these mathematicians and philosophers in, in, the, in the museum there. Uh, and then going to a country like Uzbekistan, where, you know, had, they had recently broken away from, you know, from Russia to form their own independent country to the struggles they were going through. And they were just trying to literally start from the beginning to be their own individual country. And so they kept fighting. They, they, not, they did not want to take what was given. They wanted to brave their own path. They wanted to create something new, right? And so that hit home to me. And there's one of the poems uh, in the book that talked about, as I looked up at the sky, it looked like a completely different place. Because I remember being in uh, Tashkent, which is the capital of Uzbekistan, and looking up, I was at a friend's house there, and I looked up at the sky, and it looked totally different than anything I had ever seen in Florida. And that just completely blew me away. And I used I, most of my friends that the few the, the group that I went with, um, we were all youth ambassadors. We were all elected, you know, United States youth ambassadors. And I used the word overwhelmed probably every other word, man. I it was a whole. I just tried to explain it all, even kind of ties me up, but it was a whole different ballgame. Mindset changed, what was important changed. And from that, I got a new me, a new birth. Hmm. Um, and I just kept building on that and building on that. And that was my, that was my, uh, was my that happened the freshman year at, at Morse Brown. And it, it literally was life-changing, these travels and how they, changed my mind and my heart to be the man and the person that I am today. Hmm. Um, tell us about your HBCU experience, man. What was that like? Man, that was, you know, uh, 
That was amazing. So I was a marching Wolverine. I played the saxophone the first year as a freshman. Uh, and then uh, I became drum major. So I was one of Purple Haze. And it was all about musicianship and showmanship. So if you've seen the movie Drumline, um, the school in purple, that was Morris Brown College. And, mm-hmm. you know, Morris Brown took me to some new heights, man. They, you know, even when I got there, uh, it was being, in, you know, being in college is a great experience, man. I have to admit, right, it's, just, right. it's just a wonderful experience. So, you know, to everybody out there listening, you know, college has something for everybody. You know, it may not be a four year or six year, or eight year, but college has something for everybody to help move their life from, you could say from one position to the next, you could say from one tax bracket to the next, whatever you want to call it, it's got something. Um, but Morris Brown, again, it took me around, you know, we traveled, you know, we went to different cities and states mm-hmm. that I hadn't been to. Mm-hmm. You know, it was uh, my first time going, my first time going to California, uh, which is how I ended, one of the reasons I ended up in the Bay um, was to Oakland and to Pasadena for the Rose Bowl Parade and the Battle of the Bands in Oakland with Howard and Tennessee and a few others. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that experience changed everything. I realized that I didn't want a big, big college. Uh, I realized academically I didn't have the grades for a top college or a big college. But what I did have is, you know, and something my professors at Morris Brown always told me was that I have the drive and the drive is what never stopped me. So I took my education from Seabreeze High School in Daytona Beach, Florida to Morris Brown College and worked my butt off. And then I took that to Cal State East Bay in Hayward, California and got another degree. And so it just was a, I kept building on it. But Morris Brown and the band and having that, um, having that family friendship at Morris Brown, like I still talk to a lot of my college buddies uh, right now on Facebook and different places. You know, we have a little Facebook chat every so often. And the, the experience was great. Um, I, I, I'm glad that Morris Brown is back. So I don't know if you've been keeping up with what's been going on. Uh, Morris Brown lost accreditation. Mm. And what ended up happening was they had to go through, you know, a series of steps to get it back. I think it was some like 20 years it had been gone. So they went through the whole process and got it all back. And so, you know, alumni was out pumping and, and, and putting things out, like donating money. I know my friends and I, we all donated what we had and continue to donate, you know, every other month or so. So I'm going to remind everybody, a great place to donate is the Morris Brown College in Atlanta, Georgia. You can find them online and you can donate anything, 25, 50 bucks or, well, or whatever, what have you. But it's a great college. It's on a great campus. It's on a beautiful place. It's in Atlanta. Um, and it's one of those things where, you know, I, no matter where I go when I say Morris Brown, people say good work ethic. Hmm. You know, that's a, that's, a, that's a characteristic that Morris Brown students have. Um, character, you know, good work ethic, good character. And, and I try to portray being a good Brown Knight, no matter where I go. Um, but again, I have to tell you, man, Morris Brown was, it was, it was a fun place. It was a really good place to, to, to have as an undergrad. Nice. Um, you mentioned you were there, you know, you were a musician. Uh, let's shift now and talk a little bit about the musical side of Tyrone Williams. Cool tie. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I know, you know, you have, you published the album uh, a couple years ago, um, Return of the Real. Yeah. Uh, you just let me hear the brand new song that you just had that just came out called The Birth of a King, which I really yeah. like, man. And maybe I could yeah. put a little bit of that in uh, towards the end of the show. But we'll fade out with it. But, um, you know, tell me about the creative process, music, how if what is what do you get out of music? And, and then conversely, 
what do you offer music? Right. Um, so, you know, I started music, I think like most people, you know, I started, you know, started singing in the church, uh, went to, went to, you know, school and ended up, um, I picked up the viola first. That was my first instrument, went from, uh, elementary to middle school, uh, picked up the saxophone, started playing the saxophone and did that from, you know, all the way up to Morris Brown, uh, played in every band, classical pep pep rally band, a marching band. Um, and then I started in high school is when I actually started writing my own music, writing my own lyrics. I was with a group, actually. We were in high school, we were called the Bumsy Boys and we became the, the Megaforce Posse. And then, and then they all left and then it was just me. So I had to, for me, I felt continuing on with music was great. Music gave me a, a great outlet, man. I mean, it's just like the poetry and a lot of my poems I think actually start out as verses for mm. songs or verses for rap songs, which morph into something else. And I go, yeah, I think that's going to be a poem. So let me rewrite it in that, in that perspective. Uh, but it gave me an outlet, man. And it gave me something where I can just literally shout to the heavens and say what I want to say and let people hear it. So, you know, I often write music from a different perspective, right? So what one of the things that I think I bring to music is a different perspective. So I look at people like KRS-One and Chuck D and, and, and you know, Public Enemy. Of course. Uh, I, I look at those guys and I go, okay, those are my teachers. Those are the people that I want to be like. I look at the Nas's and, the, you know, now currently Kendrick Lamar and J. Right. Cole. You know, those are the people that I look at as uh, uh, people who inspire me, people who are saying things in a way with that fire that I want to do. And so for me, it's KRS-One, it's Nas, and it's some others. E even, even Will Smith, you know, I, I, I love his flavor. I love his style. Those guys create that. Those guys give you something that you might not have thought you needed. But when you hear it, you're like, man, that's crazy. You know, I, I listen to Ghostface Killer, one of my favorite Wu-Tang members, and, you know, he gave this quote years ago. You know, Wu-Tang is like, uh, you know, Wu-Tang is like broccoli and cauliflower and all that. It's like, you know, you may not like it, but it's that nutrition and that nourishment that you need. Mm -hmm. And that's how I write music. You know, it, it ain't all about the women and the money and the this and, you know, it ain't all about the violence and this. But when you listen to my music, you're going to you're going to get something from it that you can kind of bump your head to and be like, yeah, I, I get what he's saying. So I think I bring that fresh air, that new style to, to rap music where it's good uh, because I have the musical background. It's musically great. It sounds good. I'm always thinking of big band and electric guitars and all these things. So I'm 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 giving something that's honest to goodness me. And when I put it out through either music or poetry. Uh, it just gets a, a gets a really good review, and I think um, giving the music the way I give it allows people to look at rap music a little bit differently. Hmm. You know, I used to at one point I got to this I got to this understanding that a lot of people that were listening to my rap music were listening to it for a totally different reason. They weren't normally list. They wouldn't listen to what was on the radio. They wouldn't listen to the gangster rap. They wouldn't listen to, you know, whatever was popular, but they would listen to a certain music, Planet Asia. I think that's a good one. They would listen to, you know, Far Side. They would listen to mm -hmm. those people. And that's kind of where my music fell into. 
it gave them a voice. It gave them a pathway into the music that they might not have received earlier because maybe it was too drug laced, too, you know, laced with drug references or violent references or women references or negative women images, you know? So that's what I brought into rap music. And I think as I keep writing music, I think I keep finding ways to bring more of that into my music, which opens the doors to people who are like, oh, he sounds completely different than what's on the radio. Hmm. But that's not a bad thing, right? I think a lot of producers right. are like, a lot of, you know, I run into producers are like, man, you don't sound like nobody on the radio. It may not, it's not going to sell. I can't really push it, right? And I'm okay with that because that's a compliment to me, right? I'm saying, right, I, I, I shouldn't sound like what's on the radio. I should bring something new to the game. And I think that's what I do. You know, like you, man, hip hop is near and dear to me. Uh, I mean, look over my shoulder. You see, I got Dilla, yeah. I got The Roots, I got Tribe on the wall. Um, but are you, there's, there's definitely a split in terms of people who like what's new. They like, you know, the, the trap beats are everywhere. There's some people who disdain that because of the subject matter. Um, right. But there's some good, there's some good hip hop out there if you look for it, right? So oh, yeah. where do you come down on, you know, and I even hate to say it, new school, old school, but you know, where, where do you fall in terms of some of the newer stuff uh, that you hear? Cause you mentioned it, you know, hearing things on the radio. Right. You know, I, I, I commend all, I commend everybody out making money. Uh, I commend everybody out doing their craft, making their money to make their life better, right? Hands down, I get it. But I do understand why Too Short did it the way he did, right? Like, mm. I don't need any record play. I don't need any airplay. And some of this I made up, right? I totally get it, right? It, it ain't all real. I think I fall in the middle because I understand why they're saying what they're saying. I understand, you know, the whole the whole WAP uh, uh, debate, yeah, right? Yeah, right? The whole WAP debate. Like, right. I understand it. The reality of it is, what, what I've seen is, when people try to rap, the reason why I like KRS-One, when people try to rap, let's call it conscious, right? When, which is, which is a, it's, a, it's a genre of rap music. When people try to rap conscious rap, and a lot of people try to, they use, there was that time when they always had that one song on the album. Remember that? Right. When people, right. They, they have that one conscious yeah. song on the album. Yep. Yep. When people try to rap conscious rap, I think they take their energy level and it goes all the way down. You don't have to be, you can be just as crazy and out there and inspirational with your conscious rap that you can with anything else. So when I'm listening to um, the ladies that did the walk, when I'm listening to their interview, they're like, well, when I rap all about these other things, don't nobody buy it. But the minute I start talking about sex and this and that, everybody and their mama buy it. Well, who is, who is everybody and their mama buying it, right? It's not the, the us in the neighborhood and the, you know, the people in the black community. It's everybody who looks at that and glorifies that stuff that negative image or those images as being, oh my gosh, like so, so oversensitized, right? But then on the other hand, you're like, well, these women are out getting theirs because isn't that what exactly what the men did? Right. So exactly. why should they follow a different pattern exactly. to make money? They should just, they're going to follow the same pattern that the men did. Um, so I, me personally, I kind of fall in the middle. I, I understand why they're doing it. I think there should be a bigger disclaimer. And I think the, you know, parental advisory sticker is really good. But I also think like when you listen to um, rappers and they're talking to them and someone had a really good quote, like some of the female rappers are out telling you how to go out and do X, Y, and Z and get yours and get yours 
while they're going home to their husbands, right? Mm. And so that's the disclaimer that me personally, that's the disclaimer. I would like to see that. Too short said, you know, some of this, this is made up, man. Some of this is me telling a story. Some of this is me explaining what happened in my life. So you don't have to go down that road saying that, but still being able to make the music they want, enjoy their music and, and, and getting out there and, and just making really good music. Um, I remember a really good interview with Dr. Dre when, you know, he came back after a while. He had those two albums before the, chron the second Chronic album. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about, man, I, I did some great work, but man, people weren't feeling it. And his wife, well, I guess the ex-wife now, she was like, well, listen, you, if you got to cuss and say B and H and this and that, and if that's what's going to sell, if that's what you want to do, because that's what you're used to, well, go ahead and do it. But that doesn't change who you are. Right. Um, I think currently a lot of people who talk that aren't that. And I think a lot of people who, 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 who are currently making music, I think they forget that the music was created because of a struggle. And I think we we are we miss that struggle and preaching about and preaching, teaching, whatever you want to call it, and preaching and teaching about that struggle. So those that are listening learn something from it. Um, and and I, that's just how it is. I, I think that there has to be that component where you're getting something from it. All the best rappers that I know, I'm getting something from it, mm -hmm. even if it's Kendrick Lamar, J. Cole. Uh, Logic is also another good one. I'm getting something from it. And I guess you could say if it's a club beat, well, you're still getting something from it. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, exactly. so it's, I think I kind of, I think I fall in the middle with that. You know, I just, I want people to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with people making money. I'm okay with doing things, but I think you can get to a point where you are so far gone that everything is just whack. Right. And the reality of it is I think a lot of the music, man, I think, I think it's, I think Travis Scott ghost writes and produces what? <laughs> Wow. 50, 60, 70 percent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 70 percent of the music. So right. that's why it all that's why it all sounds the same, right? Right. I'm trying to make sure when you when you pop in a cool tie tape, and I said tape, when you tape, pop in man. a cool tie song, <laughs> that's fine. When you pop in a cool tie song, you're gonna be like, oh wow, this 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 is different than what I'm used to. So yeah. I can get down with something a little bit different. But you know, the, the, there's room for everybody in, in in music, and you just gotta find what you like, you know. Yeah. For sure. Um, I wanted to save some time because definitely um, you, you've, you've been an educator at a variety of locations. You've been an educator. You've educated, you know, um, GED students in, in, in jails in Florida. You've done fifth and sixth graders in the Bay. Um, you, you've, I mean, just you've, you, you have your bona fides when it comes to education. So one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about is what's been happening since COVID. Um, you know, you know, a lot of distance learning and the educational system is kind of being disrupted right now, you know, is it kind of, you know, COVID was a disruptive force and what's it going to look like? So maybe you can kind of give, uh, give folks an overview of what you see in terms of um, how COVID impacted education, where it's going to go, and especially students of color, because uh, some of the statistics that I've seen recently are saying that a lot of the students who went home aren't back in the class, you know, so What's your take on all of that, man? Well, if, if we go back a little bit further, back to 2008, when George Bush Jr. was president, and we had the financial meltdown and the housing crash and all of that, the one thing that I was explaining to parents then was who were losing their job, losing their houses, uh, the one thing that I even teach my students, my children today is 
look at the situation that we're in. And the one thing that can change the position that you're in right now is your education, hmm. right? You have to be prepared to give up things to make sure the children are educated, right? How are the children doing? If the children are doing bad, if they're not getting what they need, you are not being successful in that. So when I look at COVID and then the virtual learning, the same parents who were successful when their kids were in school are still successful with their kids are at, at home, right? Uh, my experience, I have some parents and I've heard many stories as well where you have parents who have three, four, five, six kids, three, four, five, six grades, all trying to monitor and work on these, this work and they can't. And how would you expect, uh, I was speaking, I ran into a woman in the store and she said this, like you, you, you have parents who don't have a seventh, eighth grade education trying to teach three, four kids individual grade, their own grades to do the work. Hmm. It just can't be done, right? So on one hand, it's like, we never expected something like this to happen. And in not expecting that, we didn't prepare for it. So same thing like in the, 2000, the years, you know, 2008 years, we have to prepare to be everything to our children. You have to be prepared to be the best parent. So no matter what, you are number one teacher in that life. So the struggle that I see, even with my own parents, right? The struggle that I see is parents so overwhelmed that they just give up. And many of them were overwhelmed even before COVID happened and they weren't doing enough. And now COVID happened and the children are home 100% and it's, it just blows up the, the problem even more, right? And so one of the things that I want my parents to do and pretty much any parent that talks to me about it is to how to figure out a good daily pattern, a good daily plan to help educate the children and how to stay focused. And what I've learned, Edric, is that it, it really does take parents re-educating themselves. You know, it, it takes parents putting a little bit more emphasis on the education than they were before. Hmm. Um, and I just think that it's possible to do, but I think for so many in our current situation, they were so far gone that they had let school go because in many cases, being totally honest, man, school is for some parents, it's just the six hour babysitting time, right? They're, they're hands off. You know, I, I got parents who are like, listen, that, that, that my child is yours from these hours to these hours. So do not call me to do anything. That's your job to handle, which wow. is crazy, right? That, that's a crazy comment to say. Like, I would never say that to any of my teachers who teach my two dogs. Like, no, man, you call me, I'll be right there, even if I got to leave my classroom, right? But that's the struggle a lot of parents have. Uh, a lot of parents had the struggle with the technology. Um, I just didn't think a lot of parents were ready for the Wi-Fi capability that was needed, which is really crazy, right? You, I mean, in our house, you know, in you and I's house, Wi-Fi is, just, it is, it is, it's Wi-Fi, it's what it is, right? Right. But in a lot of parents, they didn't have either have the money to or have the expense to or whatever the case is to do it. So I do want to... Um, be thankful to a lot of the Wi-Fi company providers who provided a high-speed access to uh, public school children. They, even if you, and I had parents who had outstanding bills, 
and they ignored the bill so that the kids could get online mm -hmm. and let them make plan and make, let mm -hmm. them make payments on the bill. So I, knowing that it is a, a group effort, a, a village effort to, to help the children, some of the wife, some of the, you know, communication companies, they did step up to make sure all of our students had access to Wi-Fi in the school districts. They stepped up and, you know, we were already in a one-to-one -one, um, uh, path for our students, right? So everybody was eventually getting their own computer or, or already had their own computer in the classroom. We just had to configure it for the computer to go home and still operate and right. function just as properly as it did in the classroom. Right. And so they did that. But I, I think COVID really gave people an idea into the world of this is what teachers go through every day, right? Like, oh my gosh, like my kid is not fun to have in class. My, the teacher's been lying to me this whole time. Well, we have, to, we have to be that positive to keep the kid going, to, to flirt with the parents, to keep them active and, and connected to us. So I think a lot of parents got a real big eye opener. And the reality of it is, I think America needed it. I think America needed to see the struggles that teachers go through each and every day. And when I say teacher, I do mean speech pathologists, you know, language specialists, you know, deaf, sight and hearing, uh, you know, all of the aides, all of the special ed, you know, all of the RSP teachers, uh, all of anybody that's connected to the front line of working with these children on a daily basis. America got a taste of that today. And then we look at it. Yeah, that this this is why some of our schools and some of our kids fail, because look at what we're putting on to the teacher to do. And it's just it's a lot, man. And yeah. I think even for myself, I know other teachers you know, they, they put in more hours virtually than they did when they were in the classroom. Wow. How so, man? Man, a lot of, like me, my, my phone would go off at seven, eight, nine o'clock at night, man. And, and somebody's saying, well, I can't do this. And, and, you know, Wednesdays was our day of planning and our day of, you know, to, to meet with other teachers. But like myself, I know other teachers that were getting on and logging on with kids and having that one-on-one -on -one time and still doing small group we put in way more energy, way more time and energy than during this time than I think than we did when we were in the building because for the most part, we could leave the building and go home, right? Right, right. We're, we, we can cut it. For the most part, if you didn't want to give your parents your cell phone number, they had access to you through the classroom. And again, when you're done with school, you're done. Nobody's gonna call your phone. Well, now, some of the parents are the first phone calls you get <laughs> when, you, when you wake up, right? They're sending, phone, they're sending homework and asking questions and doing this, which is fine. Uh, for me, it's fine. I know some, some teachers may not agree with that and that's okay. For me, it was fine. Um, but I think, again, I think, it's, I think we have come to understand that uh, Joe Biden and uh, the great Kamala Harris, uh, this is the time to raise teacher salaries nationwide somewhere around 20, 25%, man, because not only do we need to get back what we lost and, and gain that momentum from years ago, um, but it shows that the value of this profession is so much greater than what a lot of people think it already is. Yeah. You know? Well said, man. And, and that's why I wanted to talk to you about this because um, I knew and know how passionate you are about the, 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 the profession of being a professional educator 
the impact you can have on on students' lives forever, you know, for the rest of their lives. There are things right. that you remember from certain teachers that will stick with you. So you have so much influence over these young people uh, and can really get them on a path to be successful. So um, yeah. thank you for sharing that, man. And um, as we get ready to, I got a couple minutes left, but just to, um, you know, again, thank you for coming on the show, man. Um, again, let me just re- let me just go through all of your, your bona fides, man. So uh, educator, uh, you've got a brand new book out, Obtainable, a book of his uh, poems and reflections. Um, he's got a brand new song coming out. It's called Birth of a King. Uh, we'll listen to a little bit on the way out. Um, he's a world traveler. You've done a lot, man. And you just, you're, you're a very dynamic brother. So um, anytime I can get to talk to you and <clears throat> just chop it up with you, man, I really appreciate. So thank you for taking the time. Uh, we'll put a link in the um, video for um, where they can get your book. Cause it's everywhere, right? You can get your book. Yeah, everywhere. It's everywhere. You can get okay. it on Amazon. Uh, you can get it on Barnes and Noble. You can get it on uh, Google books. You know, you could actually uh, email me directly at comicbookhitlist at yahoo.com. Uh, that's also my PayPal. You can connect with me at comic book hit list on IG. Uh, that's comic book hit list. Uh, you can find me uh, on Facebook uh, at cool Tyrone at cool tie, excuse me. Um, there, there's many different ways you can connect with me and get a book. Um, you know, I know Ramadan ended, you know, a day or so ago. So Ramadan Mubarak to everybody. Uh, I wrote a really, uh, I wrote a poem, man, uh, for, for the id. And I, here's a perfect example of, of what I'm, what I bring. I wrote this poem about the id called Inshallah. And a guy who's not Muslim at all read it and was blown away. And he was like, I'm going to read this every night before bed Mm -hmm. and to me that just that hit so hard like man i was so appreciative to this guy and it's a guy i met through social media and he was like man i'm gonna read this is so calming i'm gonna read this every night before bed and i'm gonna learn a little bit more about islam and that that's the type of impact that i want to have that's that that's why i teach whether it's in the classroom through my music or through my work through my poetry right um so Man, just I, I, I think of you for, for a lot of people, if you have something that you feel is good and you feel you want to get it out there, I think put it out there. Let And I, I know that's a difficult thing for people, letting other people read their writing and hear their music. And, you know, some people don't want to be judged that way because, you know, you're going to get the good with Absolutely. the bad. And, and let's Absolutely. be clear. I get a lot of people that go, yo, music, bro, it ain't even <laughs> happening. And I'm OK with that because I understand that's that's what I'm getting into by putting right. music out there. Right. Uh, but there's there's a lot of a lot of stuff, man. Just people read my poetry book. And I have to admit, man, the poetry thing, it really did take off bigger than what I expected, because, you know, I was on IG just the other day and, and this this woman was reading my poem and she was like, oh, my goodness, it's called Puzzle. Hmm. She was reading the poem Puzzle and she was like, I love this poem. And these are people who I'd never met, never listened to my music at all, know nothing about me. They read a poem that I wrote. So that's, that's really powerful for me. You know, and we didn't even get into the comic books and your art, man. We need to have another show. Thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> man, we need to have another show for that. But here's, but here's the thing, right? Here's the thing, right? Your first interview, and I know I told you this already. I'm going to tell everybody again. Your first interview and your second interview, I'm Nez's kids. That's my, that's my grandmother, right? So my oh, grandmother... Man. And Gail Myers, or Dr. Gail Dr. Myers. Dr. Gail Myers, right. That's our grandmother. Wow. 
born and raised and I said lived in Melbourne, Florida. We'd go to her house during the summers there in Melbourne, Florida. First two interviews, man, Inez's kids, and that's 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 just a that's a that's a beautiful thing. It man. is, that's man. A beautiful thing. So definitely, peace to my grandma Inez up there looking down and you know making sure I stay focused. I, I love that. That's cool, man. Yeah, let me just share with the with the with the viewers. So what happened was um, my very first guest, very first episode number one of the Edric Show was Dr. Gail Myers, which you you can take a listen. Very dynamic, just a um, beautiful sister doing a lot, uh, highlighting the plight of black farmers. So as they say, unbeknownst to me, uh, I had reached out to Tyrone to come on the show. I said, hey, come on, let's do episode two. And uh, I told him, I said, yeah, we just finished the first episode with Dr. Gail Myers. He's like, Dr. Gail Myers, you know, that's my, well, your first cousin, right? Or, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. totally blown away that it's cosmic. It's, it's in the atmosphere. I don't know how to explain it, but such an amazing coincidence that um, it just happened that way, man. So I, it's, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, man. And, and listen, I want to give a lot of love and I'm, I'm going to tell people again, man, hit like, subscribe. This brother Edric has been <laughs> in the trenches, interviewing, doing his show, bringing the masses, good content, making sure people are aware of what's going on. Uh, you guys got to support brother Edric. Definitely like, subscribe, share the show, man. I, I want to appreciate you, man, because you are constantly, you. constantly out there working hard, bringing the masses some true, real, good, honest to goodness content and information. And it's that information that people can learn and grow from. And I think that's what we need, you know. So big ups to you, Edric, man, and definitely all the blessings. Keep going. Keep it moving, man. And I appreciate you. Thank you, man. You know, and I also uh -huh. on that comic book thing, man, we got we to gotta <laughs> yeah. have another show because, yeah. you know, I, I have a YouTube channel. It's called Comic Book Hitlist. So you guys look up Comic Book Hitlist and you will see my boy Steve and I talk about comics as comic connoisseurs. There you Not go, just man. comic book readers and enthusiasts, but what connoisseurs, man. So you'll like it. But yeah, let, let's have another show about the comic Yes, sir. Show. Yes, sir. Thank <laughs> you for the kind words, man. And you know, our tagline, intelligent conversation with interesting people. That's where go. it's at, man. So again, go. Tyrone Weems, author, educator, father, uh, artist, musician. Thank you so much for helping us on episode two. We'll put a lot of the information down in, uh, in the links on the, um, when we put it, up, put it up on our YouTube channel. And uh, we'll listen to a little bit of Birth of the King as we go out. So thank you very much, sir. Stay safe. All the blessings to you and your family, man. And uh, we definitely need to do this again. Yeah, absolutely, man. Peace. All right. I appreciate it, Edric. You're welcome. This is The Edric Show. I'm Edric Jerome. Thank you for tuning in. We'll catch you next time.